Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss. I'm joined as ever by Jonathan Verdugba and we're here to talk about uh, Malmo against Chelsea upcoming this week in the Europa League. John, uh, are you uh, are you well, my friend? And are you looking forward to the return to uh, European action? Yes, hi Steve and hi everyone. Um, we're back for a show where we're going to be looking at the Europa League specifically. Uh, Malmo FF are the last survivors in the Scandinavian regions in terms of Sweden and Norway. They will be playing the big boys Chelsea and we're going to be talking about it. We've got a few guests as well this, this uh, for this particular show, haven't we, Steve? Yeah, we've got Vishali Bardwash from the uh, Evening Standard um, coming on a little bit to talk uh, about Chelsea. Um, we've also got a little guest section in the middle about a new book which might interest uh, some of the listeners regarding uh, Tom's Gravison. Well, before uh, we move on to, to, to Malmo, uh, Chelsea again, um, let's just talk about the last uh, show we had. It was regarding the uh, the Finnish team, HIFK. And um, have, have you been watching any more of the uh, Suomen uh, Cup, John? Yeah, we obviously had Tor Todesson on the last show, uh, the, the new coach of H, uh, HIFK. And we touched on Finland for, for one special episode. And we had quite a good response, actually, in it, didn't we? We had quite a lot of Finnish listeners. So uh, anyone who's new listening to the podcast, welcome. Uh, we will be following the Finnish league a little bit more, maybe keeping an eye on it. So if you've got any suggestions for us. But uh, I must say, based on the game itself, I did actually tune in to watch that game, HJK Helsinki against HIFK. And uh, I think you did too as well, Steve. And uh, you weren't too happy with what you saw, were you? I've got to be honest, and I'm not. I don't want to be disrespectful here to Finnish football, and I understand it's early on. You know, the, the, their actual season doesn't start the league until April. But I thought it was bloody awful. The game we watched there, HJK against HIFK. I mean, it was one nil HJK. I mean, if they're the best that Finland have to offer, then well, dear me. Um, you know, I mean, I was expecting quite an open game after, based on what the. Uh, the HIFK manager told us um, that he would never park the bus. Um, but to my word, there was a couple of double-decker buses there at the back, weren't they? And it didn't really... It just The game was never open. It looked like some of the players weren't really that bothered. Um, you know, it was disappointing. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know how, much, how how seriously they take the Finnish Cup, to be honest. It's all in Cup, it seems. I mean, it was played in an indoor hall. Uh, it actually reminded me of watching like a PE... Like, like a PE... Uh, Sort of a local PE competition. It was sort of an indoor indoor um, arena, very compact, very sort of claustrophobic. It felt, to be honest, mm. I don't even know if the lights were on. You know, <laughs> some of the lights didn't seem to be working in the hall. And uh, <laughs> it was a great camera angle, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was. I mean, it wasn't the best of games. I think Finland, you've got a lot to a lot to answer for. Yeah, I mean, but certainly we will be keeping our eye on the Finnish league, and. Um, you know, I say the response we got from from uh, we have many new listeners from from Finland. So, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested to know if that was kind of a bit of an anomaly the players have not scratched yet. But um, well, actually, I mean, the thing is, I watched. Uh, I've kept an eye on HJK since, uh, and obviously, it was a two-one. Uh, the, well, the game ended one nil, wasn't it? It was a one-nil um, mm. game. HJK eked out a win, um, but they looked really devoid of any real attacking attacking intent. And I've kept an eye on them since, and they haven't really been too great in their game since either. So maybe there might be some some opportunities for for the you know other teams to challenge them for the title. But you know it's a long way to go. The cup isn't, I don't think, taken seriously as the league, and and obviously the travel will open. So um, although HJK have lost their their top scorer, their league's top scorer from last season, um, perhaps they'll bring in some players to come. But yeah, it wasn't the best of games, was it, Steve? Well, not not the greatest of introductions to uh, the Suomen Cup there. But uh, moving on, let's go back to what we know, which is Norway and, and Sweden for today. And I mean, I'm pretty happy because it's two years running now that we've had a Swedish team get to the knockout rounds of the Europa League. Yeah, well, I was doing some statistical um, analysis recently uh, just on results. And did you know in the last 10 years, uh, there have only been eight teams from Scandinavia, obviously including Denmark here, that have made this uh, last 16 in the Europa League. And only one of those eight managed to qualify for the next round. Um, that was actually uh, FC Copenhagen against Luda Gerrits a couple of years ago. So it's a it's a renowned, tricky. I mean, there's, there's, we're going to talk about preseason and the fitness and things like that. I'm sure, but it's a tough round for the for these sort of teams from Scandinavia. In it's 
but it's a reward, isn't it, for Malmo? Because they had that great group stage, yeah, in qualified from a group including Besiktas, uh, Sarpsborg, Genk. And now, as I say, rewarded by getting this mammoth tie in Chelsea. So it's a huge, huge game for Malmo and, and Swedish football, isn't it? It really is. It's a, it's a big game. I'm not sure if it's as big as Ostersund's Arsenal, just from the point of view of, I think, um, for Ostersunds in that case, it was their you know their first ever trip to to Europe. Malmo have got a bit of a, a bit more of a track record, um, but for the club itself, particularly as they didn't do so well in the league this season, lost their title to AIK. I think it's a real kind of uh, booster for them. Um, kind of shows that they're still a a major force in Swedish football in that sense. Um, in fact, Marcus Rosenborg did say recently that he thinks they've got the best team uh, in the league on paper. And a few ARK players actually bit back and said, well, the league's not played on paper, is it? Um, so there's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of touchiness there between the two clubs, which keep an eye on for maybe 2019 seasons to come uh, between those two teams. But um, yeah, it gives it gives Malmo something to look forward to. I think when I look at these games, I'm always a bit concerned about the levels of fitness because um, obviously, as we know, Malmo's last league game was, was back in November. They have played one game since, um, you know, their last official game was obviously December. Uh, when they went to Besiktas and actually won uh, to qualify. So that was a massive win. Um, but obviously since then, they've been on the, on the winter break. So, you know, that'll be a challenge for them. And keeping their fitness levels up against the intensity of a side like Chelsea is going to be a real challenge. But actually, we're in a bit of a quandary with Chelsea right now, aren't we? Because mm. we don't know if the manager's going to be around or if he'll have gone by the time uh, these two teams kick off on Thursday. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about Chelsea a little bit later. But from a Malmo um, point of view here, they've played some pre-season friendlies. But, I mean, Chelsea are right in the middle of their Premier League season. They're probably going to have a reaction after Sunday losing against Man City. Um, it's going to be tricky for Malmo um, in this tie, isn't it? Are you, uh, what are you expecting from them um, in, on this Thursday night? Well, I'm not expecting a huge amount. Uh, they've There's been talks pre-match about... Um, you know, doing a doing a sort of HIFK and parking the bus. Anders Christiansen said that he he hate he's come out and said he actually hates that kind of style of football and and hates playing it. But uh, it might have to be done. Um, and let's just be honest. I mean, the Premier League level is way way above the Osvenskan in terms of intensity. So when you factor in the fact they haven't played many games, I mean they they have over preseason played uh, four matches. They've played a. Uh, EF Malmo, local side. Um, they played Lingby, who they beat 5-1 Danes. Um, they played Krasnodar as well. And then most recently, Dinamo Kiev, uh, who they drew 0-0 with. Uh, they're out in Marbella at the moment, and they're training camp in Marbella in preparation for the for this game. Um, and then obviously after that, the Swedish Cup kicks off as well. So they'll have one game before the second leg. Um, so yeah, preparations will be going okay. You know, they, they've at least they've got some 90-minute games under their belts. Uwe Rosler has said he's quite quite satisfied with um, the preparations. Uh, there hasn't been a huge amount of transfer activity, but they have wrapped up some players on uh, new contracts, which has shown, which has um, impressed fans and and has been a sort of a high point for them. And a, a, you know, a, a positive uh, forward Bacheru and uh, Lassa Nielsen have signed new contracts. So there are things to be optimistic about. But yeah, I mean, even if Chelsea are losing six 0 to Manchester City, this uh, this is a huge test for Malmo. <laughs> Going to have quite a few Chelsea fans uh, probably listening to this episode. Um, are there any sort of standout players uh, at Malmo that you would say could cause problems to Chelsea at all? Well, I don't think Malmo are particularly a, a standout players sort of team. I think they're they're much more of a unit, in my opinion. They're not a sort of um, you know you have some teams maybe who rely on on one or two real stars who do everything. Um, I think last season we we sort of when we looked at Ostersunds, for example, they had Sam and Goddard, who was their main man. They had Ken Semmer, who's now at Watford. Um, I don't look at Malmo and really think that. I think they're a bit more, <clears throat> a bit more of a unit, a solid unit. I mean, if we look at their um, training game, they played uh, two up front in Rose, Marcus Rosenborg and uh, Marcus Antonsen, uh, Soren Reeks, They've got Bacheru. There's no one that's really an unbelievable talent. Uh, even Romain Gaul, who I like a lot, um, isn't isn't something that would probably worry Chelsea massively, I don't think. But I think it's more as a unit, um, as a tactical um, unit. I think the way they approach the game with and without the ball, I think they're quite solid. Um, I think they've got a good fan base as well, a good stadium. Um, the Swedbank Stadium will be very, very buzzing for that game. 
So, yeah, I think it's more of a unit that they'll they'll be look to be. I think they'll look to be compact. I imagine they'll line up in a uh, a five three two, um, and I think they'll look to be compact and sort of sit in, and um, you know, see what straight Chelsea. Yeah, I think set pieces will be will be important uh, with the height of Rosenborg and obviously uh, Antonsen up there as well. Um, they'll look to sort of rough up Chelsea's defenders. I don't know who will start. Maybe Christensen as well and or Rudiger. But but really, this is really a you know it should be a fairly straightforward passage for Chelsea, given that um, the second leg is at Stamford Bridge. But I think the away leg this Thursday is a chance for Malmo to bloody their nose maybe and just see what they can get, especially with Chelsea on such low morale. Okay, well let's move on to the Chelsea side of things now. And on Friday, um, I was joined by a special guest, Vaishali Bardwaj, uh, from the Evening Standard. So. Uh, Here's the interview now, so uh, to give us the lowdown on Chelsea FC. I'm now delighted to be joined by Vashali Bardwaj, um, a sports journalist at the Evening Standard. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, Vashali. Hope you're well today. Yeah, all very well. Thank you for having me on. Brilliant to have you here. And uh, Vashali uh, covers a lot of Chelsea games, so he's uh, pretty much an expert with them. And uh, I mean, in terms of the Europa League, uh, Vashali. How has their campaign gone so far, um, would you say? Um, I think it's gone completely to plan, sent to Sari's plans. You know, this is the competition that he does want Chelsea to win. I mean, obviously it offers the club a route back into the Champions League should they not make top four. But, they, you know, they, they look quite good in the Premier League. Uh, they are in the top four at the moment. Um, but it is a chance for him personally to win silverware. And of course, the club to win silverware as well. And you know, he has fielded sometimes a strong side in the Europa League, sometimes not. But they've done well in, in the Europa League. And they won all but one of their games. They they drew their final uh, group game two two against Malvidi um, away, um, and they topped their Europa League group uh, with sixteen points. So it all went went to plan. There seems to be in the in the in the UK a bit of a negative attitude towards the Europa League. I mean. I know quite a lot of Man United fans, and when they won it uh, a couple of years ago, they weren't really celebrating it. They all they were bothered about is really getting into the Champions League. Would you say that it's a similar yeah. sort of thing at Chelsea, or is it a bit more? I mean, they won it obviously um, under Rafa Benitez. Uh, I think it was about five or so years ago. And um, is, is this a club that really would would celebrate it more than say Man United? Do you think? Um, you know, it's a funny one because, um, you know, that Europa League success, it's not something that they really talk about. I mean, the fans, it, you know, they don't really sort of hold it necessarily in high regard. I think it was a case of let's just do our best now that we're out of the Champions League, let's do our best to win the next best thing, which, of course, is the Europa League. I think it's one of those uh, competitions, particularly in England, um, and, you know, for the club like the United, the Chelsea who want to be targeting the Premier League um, every single season and the Champions League, let's be honest. Um, if they get into the Europa League, it's a case of let's win it just for, you know, just to make the best of, of the season. And um, clearly, it's also a key uh, to getting into the top four. Um, you know, with Chelsea, um, it was key because um, they, they wanted to end in top four. This, this season, the top four race is quite tight. Um, we've seen Chelsea falter quite a bit um, in recent weeks. Um, and so if they were to win the Europa League, they know at least they're back in the Champions League that way. Um, so it kind of takes the pressure off them in the league. But yeah, it's not a competition that fans here uh, really holding high regard, unless you're a fan of a club, say, mid-table or, you know, sort of sixth mm. or seventh place, and you're playing in that competition. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the, the, the game for Malmo, I mean, this is one of their biggest games of the season. It's a massive game for Swedish football, very similar to last year where Ossersund's faced Arsenal in this uh, round. But... Uh, for Chelsea, it's obviously not its not going to be seen as such a glamorous time. It doesn't come at a great time in the fixture schedule, does it? I mean, we, we uh, they've got um, Man City coming up this Sunday. Then they've got the Man United FA Cup game. I mean, are we going to see the likes of Hazard and, and, and big players um, at Malmo, do you think, Vashali? I know it's difficult to predict lineups this early in advance, but uh, are you expecting a weakened sort of team? Um, I'm expecting a change team from the one that he probably will play against United in the FA Cup fifth round a couple of days before. Um, but I still think you're going to see a lot of the sort of bigger name players start the game. Whether or not they'll end the game uh, remains to be seen. So I think, you know, I mean, Caballero, he played um, a couple of times in the Europa League. But I actually think that he might start Kepa because I think for Sari, he's looking at the Europa League as a trophy that Chelsea can 
win. You know, he's someone that he definitely can win. Obviously, they can win the League Cup uh, if they beat City at Wembley this month. But he thinks they can win the Europa League, they can go all the way. So I think what happened, he'll start a pretty strong side and then he'll take players off depending on how... Well, if they score a couple of goals and he thinks the game is out. So, um, so I think the likes of Kepa may start. I think in terms of the back line, um, Aspili Quest is probably going to start. But you probably will have Christensen in central defence. So he'll probably partner either Louise or Rudiger, depending on, on what Maurice Sarri fancies. Emerson will probably start at left back. Midfield, you could see quite a few changes. I still think Jorginho will start in the central midfield position. He'll probably be brought off in the second half at some point. Um, but either side of him, you probably will see changes. So I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek's got a good chance of starting. Uh, Barkley's got a good chance of starting. Because I don't think Kante will start that game. And up front, you're going to see Higuain because uh, Higuain start because. Um, you know, he's only joined, he needs as much game time as possible to get up to speed. And um, he's obviously only here on a six-month loan deal. So uh, he'll probably start. But I don't think even Hazard will start that game, knowing that, you know, they're going to be playing United before that. So it'll probably be left to Hudson Adore on the left flank to, to score the goals, create the chances, as well as someone like Pedro and Willian on the other side. So it, it'll be a change side. But I do still think there'll be uh, some of the sort of usual first-teamers in there. In terms of some younger players to watch out for who've got um, a sort of great potential uh, talent, I mean, Callum hudson Adoy is, I guess, one of them that we've got to talk about here. I mean, what what is the actual deal there uh, anyway, uh, Vajali? And uh, you, you certainly expect him to see uh, the start in this game. Yeah, I think so, because I think, um, you know, whether or not he plays against City in the Premier League, he probably won't start that game. Um Against FA, well, against Manchester United in the FA Cup, uh, he'll probably play, but I don't think he'll start because I think Hazard uh, will probably start that game. So, and so that is obviously the obvious game that he will be playing in and starting. Um, he is a fantastic player. He's a player who, at such a young age, has a lot of confidence in his own abilities. You see it when you talk to him. It's very assured, very confident. And people within the club have told me that they haven't met too many youngsters, you know, who are his age who have had that kind of confidence within their own ability. And you've seen the fact that there was a tussle between him and, and, and uh, Bayern Munich and Chelsea about whether or not he'd be staying at the club. He did hand a transfer request in to leave Chelsea. He wanted to go to Bayern Munich. Chelsea blocked his uh, move to Bayern Munich in this transfer window. Um, I still think that's going to be a transfer that's going to pop back up again in summer. I think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up joining Bayern Munich, but in the meantime, what has been clear, despite the fact that there's been all these kind of speculation about his future, he has been still putting in the performances for Chelsea. He's been very, very good when coming on. He always scores goals, he creates chances. Um, and when the team is struggling to kind of get forward um, and into the box, he's the guy who can change things around. Um, and, you know, he'll definitely play a big part in that game against Malmo. Um, there's been uh, a lot of talk about the manager in the last couple of months, uh, Sari, um, especially when you talk about motivation issues. And, um, you know, this seems to be a squad that one week is really up for a game, the next week perhaps isn't. I mean, on the face of things, a trip to Sweden at this time of year in a bit of a nothing game and uh, not a very glamorous tie, do you, do you think they could have a few motivational issues in this first leg, Chelsea? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a, a quick start from Chelsea in this game because, uh, I mean, we've seen the way they're faulted, particularly on the road. I mean, they lost to Arsenal. Uh, that was the game after which Sarri came out and he heavily criticised his players' motivation, saying, you know, I, I don't know how to motivate them. Uh, they lost heavily to Bournemouth in the Premier League away as well. Um, and again, Sarri was damning um, in terms of how his players uh, reacted. Um, obviously, Bournemouth is a team who... You know, they've come solid in the Premier League, but it's a, it was a game in which you thought, you know, the Chelsea players perhaps were complacent, thought that they could go out um, and, and they'd win that game. And they were completely thrashed and overrun in that game. Uh, they had a really good reaction against Huddersfield at home, but it, you do kind of wonder, given that, uh, the fact that the players and the team have been putting in inconsistent performances, particularly since their... Um, long unbeaten run uh, I think it was 18 game unbeaten run came to an end in December you do think that this is a game in which they probably won't start off that well um, and you know if Malmo have the attacking uh, power and threat and they can pressurise the players particularly in midfield and overrun Chelsea's midfield they could score early on and it would be interesting to see how Chelsea would react if that was to happen mm, it certainly would I mean in terms of I can see what you mean about Chelsea potentially trying to get off to a fast start because Malmo are only just into their pre-season. I think they've only played two or three friendly games. As we speak now, they're actually on the field 
against Dynamo Kiev. Um, and we've had a massive problem historically for Scandinavian teams at this stage of the Europa League. Um, very rarely do they get past this round because of you know, fitness levels and that. And, and Arsenal last season went to Ostersunds and very early on dominated it. So do you think Chelsea will sort of maybe look to change their, their, their tactics compared to normal? Or will it be same as usual for Sarri in that regard? It will be same as usual and, you know, business as usual uh, for Sarri and, and his team. He has one style of playing. He's not going to change his style of play, uh, despite the fact that they've been called by fans and, and you know, pundits to, to do that, uh, particularly when they're struggling uh, against certain opposition. Um, you know, it is very much a 4-3-3 formation um, and he wants his team, where possible, to play um, along the pitch through the, uh, through the midfield, uh, through players like Jorginho. Um, but what we have seen, actually, increasingly, and I think this is something, something Sari has been telling his players, it is uh, something that I think some of the players like Louise have been taking it upon themselves to do more and more, sending long balls from the back to the front, to any runners, uh, to the wingers, to, you know, um, the striker. Because um, this, Louise has a really good um, way of picking out uh, with accurate passes, lofty passes, um, the sort of the runners, um, and it's actually resulted in, in a lot of chances and a few goals this season actually. So the only thing I'd say is they probably will play exactly how they usually play, but you might see some of that if Malmo are proving quite resilient in terms of you know sort of keeping men behind the ball. Chelsea fans are obviously going to be expecting quite a comfortable win, you would think. But uh, in terms of your own prediction for the first leg, Vashali, how do you think it's going to go? Um, well, because it is an away game, um, I, I think it will be tougher than, than Chelsea uh, will find it compared to the home uh, home tie. But I do expect Chelsea to go through. Um, as you mentioned, Malmo are in the, the pre-season stages of, of their season. Um, so obviously it's going to be a tricky game for them. But, you know, Chelsea have the players on the bench, even despite all the motivational issues that Sarri has talked about in recent weeks. They've got the players there, the world-class players, to come on and make a difference. Even if Hazard doesn't start, he can be brought on, uh, presuming he's fit. Um, and so, yeah, I'd expect a win for Chelsea. Vishali, thank you very much for coming on and giving us your expert analysis on Chelsea. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll maybe have you back on uh, ahead of the second leg, if you fancy. Yeah, definitely. I'll be up for that. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Vishali. Take care. OK, let's have a little break now. We'll be back soon to talk some more about Chelsea and also a feature on a new book about Thomas Graveson. See you in a little bit. was Vaishali Bardwaj, who's a sports journalist at the Evening Standard, joining us on the Nordic Football Podcast to preview Chelsea. Uh, very interesting thoughts there. I mean, a bit's changed since, obviously, with the um, new result recently, uh, in which Manchester City have absolutely obliterated Chelsea 6-0. Um, and that has prompted some potential question marks about Mauricio Sarri's future, uh, with rumours that he may be even sacked before uh, the Malmo game. But... Um, I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, just to give you a bit of context on on that defeat, it was Chelsea's uh, biggest ever, biggest sorry, biggest defeat since 1991 in any competition uh, when they lost 7-0 to Nottingham Forest in April 1991. So that tells you a little bit about where Chelsea are. And they've now conceded four goals in consecutive away top flight matches for the first time since December 1990. So... They're leaking goals. They lost 4-0 to Bournemouth, 6-0 Man City, conceded three at Arsenal. Steve, does this give any hope to any uh, Malmo fans who are listening now? What are your thoughts on Chelsea? Um, do you know what? They've just seemed to have lost their way, I think, in, in recent times. It's a, you know, there's, there's, I think there's trouble at Mill. It seems to be a squad that, ought, that um, can be hard to motivate sometimes. It's like if they're in the mood, they're in the mood. If they're not in the mood, they're not in the mood. And I mean, Manchester City were really good to, today. I've got to be honest, they, they played some great football, but Chelsea was sloppy. It just, to me, looked like they were pedestrian. I don't know about you, but um, they looked really slow. They just didn't look sharp. And, you know, Sarri is a man un under pressure. You know, by the time this podcast goes live on Monday morning, 
he might be out of a job. It's quite feasible, isn't it? Um, who knows? I mean, I hope he doesn't come to that because I think he's quite a good character. I actually quite like his style. You know, I watched a lot of his Napoli team and, and it was really good good viewing. I think they need to give him time at, at Chelsea to implement that and, and, and with some more signings and that. And uh, so, I, you know, I hope they do stay faithful with him. But Roman Abramovich has a history of yielding the axe, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a worrying thing. It actually might be bad news for Malmo fans because they might have to take the game more seriously now on Thursday night. You know, a reaction. The last time we called for a reaction, they beat Huddersfield 5-0. And I know Huddersfield are absolutely dire, but, um, you know, there might be a reaction this Thursday. They might actually you know, really have to take it properly seriously. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> just looking at the game itself, I think you make a good point there in terms of how seriously Chelsea will have to take this. The fact is that the Europa League is, is is a huge route into into the Champions League now. It's changed the perception of the competition, I think, and I think Arsenal as well as as Chelsea will will have to look at the competition and, and sort of um, you know, take it seriously considering the top four battle. I mean, they're now both of them outside the top four. Um, but yeah, Sarri has come out today and said, uh, you know, he's he does feel like he's under the risk of getting the sack. Um, so it is a bit of a worrying thing. I mean. One thing that he will do is, as Vaishali said, is he'll stick to his style. He won't, you know, veer from his his um his his idea of football, the Sarri ball, as everyone's called it. <clears throat> I think they'll try and play a fluid game, and I think that will be something really quite difficult for Malmo to deal with uh, if they play it in an intense way. But one of the things with these sort of games is obviously the fact that probably you'd imagine Eden Hazard wouldn't necessarily start this first leg at least. Um, I'd like to see Callum Hudson-Odoi in there, obviously, and, but then you've got Pedro, Willian, you know, even those players who are maybe out of the uh, good books of Chelsea fans at the moment, they are a level above the Osvenskan, aren't they, really? And it's going to need a monumental effort for Malmo to to uh, get anything from the game. Well, do you remember last year, Ossesum's Arsenal, and there was quite a lot of talk that Ossesum's could, could spring a shock in the first leg and catch Arsenal a little bit cold, but it was the opposite. It's like Ossesum's froze, didn't they, in the first half an hour? Arsenal were, you know, I think 2-0 up. It might, might have even been more. So I could see a similar sort of thing happening again, you know, big build-up, big game, and, and it kind of forced flat on its arse for them. But, you know, let, that's my concern for Malmo there and that Chelsea might actually... A lot depends, to say, what mood Chelsea are in. Are these the sort of players that are going to embrace going to a place, you know, in Sweden this time of year? You know, I don't know what the weather forecast is, but it's probably not going to be too warm, is it? Um, you know, you with the Europa League, I mean, Chelsea are four to one favourites to win the Europa League with the bookmakers. I mean, I would not be, I wouldn't be placing any money on that. Just mm. for the record, I actually think Red Bull Salzburg are a bit of value at 20, 25 to one, John. But um, you know, over in this country, the Europa League is treated like dirt. Um, I don't like how it's treated at all. Um, it's, it's pathetic attitude, but um, it's almost seen as an embarrassment. And you know, even if Chelsea do rock up and win six nil on Thursday night, they're not going to get any praise for it, are they? They can't really win. They can't win either way, Chelsea. Yeah, and I mean, looking at the uh, you know the group stages, actually Malmo have, a, have a, had a pretty decent home record. I mean, they won uh, at home against Besiktas. Uh, obviously, they drew with they drew with Salzburg. Yeah, and they drew at home to Genk. So they're unbeaten in um, in terms of the Europa League at home this season. Um, I think the best they can probably look at is that maybe maybe a draw. I, th- I, th- I think the difference with Ostersunds is that Ostersunds are a bit more. I think geared towards um, knockout football. I think Ostersund's last season anyway, under under, um, under Graham Potter, they had that sort of counter-attacking style whereby they, they can sort of sit back and then break uh, with the pace they had and the sort of creativity they had in forward areas, um, which they did against Arsenal, you know, really, really effectively. And Arsenal are quite weak in that sense. Although Jamie Carragher has come out and called uh, Chelsea the new Arsenal and, and, and called them cowards today. But... Um, I think that's where Melman may struggle. I think they'll try a low block. I think they'll look to defend, um, pack the box, make sure they you know win their headers, win their aerial, aerial duels. But I just wonder on the counter attack, do they have enough pace about them to to threaten Chelsea? I don't think the likes of Rosenberg are particularly quick. I think Romain Gould could be an interesting player in that sense. Um, but I do worry about how they're going to really hurt them to win. I think it's going to have to be mainly set pieces or on that kind of thing. Yeah, it's the sort of game where they, they clear a ball forward, but there's no one there to receive it, sort of thing. I could imagine that quite a lot will, will happen. Um, I mean, in terms of the actual lineup for Malmo, then, you got a prediction for us, John? You uh, had a pretty good record in this uh, historically. 
Well, I mean, based on the preseason matches, obviously the Dynamo Kiev was the the big one where you can probably draw your draw your conclusions from there. So if there's no no injuries and that kind of thing, then I think they probably will um, go with more or less the same team that they played against uh, Dynamo Kiev. So I think we'll see Darlene in goal most likely. Um, I think we'll see Nielsen um, in defence. Although he did pick up a knock in the Kiev game and went off at half time, so that's that's maybe you know he's an important defender for them. Um, Rasmus Bengtsson as a centre back as well, Bearang Safari, uh, and then Andreas Vinheim will probably make up that. That will probably make up the back four uh, or back five if they choose to to go for a back five. Uh, we'll have Anders Anders Christiansen, I think, Floyd Bacheru, uh, Arna Trausterson, who I think could have some say in the game, uh, Soren Reeks, and then. Rosenborg, Marcus Rosenborg, and Marcus Antonsen, the two Marcuses, uh, in attack. And what is your prediction for the first leg? What are you going to give us a scoreline prediction, or are you going to sit on the fence? Um, given the way things are going, I, I, I could see Mama maybe eking a draw. Um, I think the best they can hope for is maybe sort of a, a score, a draw, maybe one or a two-two. But I think they're going to really. I mean, I'm actually, I'm actually going to the second leg, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I think they might struggle in that second leg, but it depends because we don't know if Sari will be in a job by Thursday. But um, you would think that, realistically, I think that's the best they can get. But depending on the team they, they put out, I think, you know, one interesting thing to point out is as well is that Higuain isn't, isn't cup-tied, despite playing for AC Milan in the group stages. Um, and if they play the likes of Higuain, then it's going to be a real challenge. So I'm going to say optimistically, score draw. Um, realistically, 1-0 Chelsea. All right, brilliant. Well, we'll be watching with interest. So before we wrap up the show this week, we have a few questions from listeners. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at NordicFootPod. Uh, or you can like us on Facebook, Nordic Football Podcast. Give it a search and a like. Uh, we've got a few listener questions this week as well for you, Steve. We've got two on Norway and one on Sweden. So I'm going to start you off with one from at Ted Cruz ate my son. Uh, who asks any weak links in this Rosenborg team that need to be filled in? Uh, I would say right back or central midfield. Uh, they had a lot of injuries last year. Um, players were out for significant amounts of time, so they're going to kind of get a few new players back, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, yeah, I would say uh, yeah, right back or central midfield. Interesting stuff, yeah. And um, the next one. Is from at this is Liam or that this is Liam. Thanks for your question. Uh, how do you think Mulder will do without Oleg and Assaultsjar? Although, technically speaking, it's not confirmed yet, or nothing's really happened. But um, in the hypothetical situation, how would uh, how would they do without him? I actually think they'd do quite fine without him, John. He, uh, I mean, he's done okay in this set, uh, second spell at Mulder, uh, but they've not been anything too special. I mean, at times they had some good performances. Thanks largely, I would say, to Erling Braut Haaland, I must add. Um, but I, I just felt it was getting a little bit flat sometimes with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Mulder. So, yeah, if he moved on, I don't think it would be the worst thing for him, um, obviously. And then it wouldn't probably be the worst thing for the club, as long as they brought in the right sort of manager. I think it's a club which always wants to uh, promote attacking football, you know, play football nice on the eye, and they want to challenge at the top of the table. So, yeah, providing they get in the right sort of replacement, then I think they'll do just fine without him. Yeah, and I think on that subject, actually, um, it's interesting, isn't it, really, and you're relating it to Chelsea, you know, how managers do, you know, in different situations. So you're saying there that you think Mulder would do quite well without him uh, and maybe things have gone a little bit stale, whereas um, he's doing so well at Manchester United and who, who are obviously a significantly bigger, bigger club than Mulder in terms of expectations and, you know, overall infrastructure. Tells you a lot about how sometimes managers, um, you know, are maybe fit fit a different culture better. You know, they can suit different cultures, and it doesn't necessarily have to translate to the size of the club, doesn't it? I mean, an example of that is with Chelsea, isn't it? Really, with Sarri as well. You know, they brought him in to bring in this new style, and he's been successful in Napoli and other clubs, and uh, doesn't seem to be quite implementing it at a bigger club. But that's not to say that he's not suited to to to, to another team. So. Yeah, and it's an interesting one. That um, I think we have one more question, didn't we, on Sweden? Yes, and this is from at zero zero underscore zero zero. Um, I kind of touched on this uh, a little bit myself, but uh, I'd be interested to hear your point of view, John. Chelsea lost six nil. 
does that make Malmo's task harder or easier or make no difference? Yeah, and actually, I think this is a really good question. Um, it's quite a simplistic question when you look at it, but when you think about it, it's actually um, quite tough to answer. Uh, obviously, because, you know, I think it makes Malmo's task slightly easier, to be honest, because, you know, morale is such a massive thing in, in football. It plays such a, a big part in the mental side of the game, which I think is sometimes overlooked, to be honest. Um, and, you know, a 6 nil defeat is going to lead to a barrage of negative headlines for three, four days. It may even lead to the sacking of their manager. So that's a different thing to work out because obviously if that happened, uh, it's going to be even more difficult for Malmo if they were to have a new manager or if Chelsea were to have an interim manager, for example, then all preparations for Uwe Rosler is going to make his job a lot harder, isn't it, in terms of preparation, um, not knowing the kind of tactical setup that they might go for and maybe some new players would come in, that kind of thing. So that's always difficult when a, a new manager comes in to prepare for playing them. Um, but then at the same time, I suppose yeah. it makes it harder because obviously they need to concentrate on the Europe. You know, they're, they're, they're further away from the Champions League places now and they need to concentrate on, on the Europa League and they need to win it, really, uh, if they're not going to get in the top four because it's their only other route to Champions League football. So you could argue both sides, I think, but um, I can't see how a 6-0 defeat can ever be uh, anything other than a negative, really. OK, well, thanks very much for your questions. As usual, keep them coming and we will answer them uh, the best we can. So uh, any time, feel free to ask us a question and uh, we'll get back to you about it. As I say, hopefully we'll be back for another episode next week ahead of the second leg. Uh, to finish the episode off, we've just got something a little bit different. We've got a, uh, a special guest coming on uh, to talk to us about a new book he's got, regarding Thomas Gravison. And we're now delighted to be joined by Chris Sweeney, uh, author of uh, a very interesting book, which is soon to come out, called Mad Dog Gravison, uh, all about Thomas Gravison, the Danish footballer. Uh, great to have you on board. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Brilliant. So, oh, well, this Mad Dog Gravison is going to be available on um, all the uh, main outlets, Amazon, etc. And, uh, well, Thomas Gravison, obviously a very interesting sort of bloke. Uh, in the the title of the book is called uh, Mad Dog, and I understand that was actually his nickname. But I mean, can you tell us a few sort of snippets about you know where did this Mad Dog title come from, and uh, any really interesting uh, bits in particular that got him that name? Yeah, well, I think the Mad Dog. I think I think he was actually given he was given that in Everton um, in Germany. This kind of uh, title, the Humor Bomb, which I'm not quite sure how that translated. That was his kind of German nickname, but he was always a character. You know, he brought dynamite into training. Um, he, you know, he, he flooded out their whole... Uh, they had a big wellness centre at Hamburg and he, he filled it with bubble bath and absolutely flooded it and, you know, ruined the place. Um, uh, he would not listen to tactical drills. You know, the, the coach would call him in and Thomas would just stay in the corner or stay on the pitch just, you know, hitting free kicks. Um, he came to Everton. He would bring fireworks into training or he would... Um, he started going around in second-hand cars because he doesn't like the way he doesn't like having a nice car in the bad weather. So he would drive a very a second-hand Nissan Micra, and he would drive that around Liverpool because he didn't want a nice car in in the rain. But then when the when the sun came out, he would go and buy a Porsche or something very expensive. You know, he, he was a big lover of cars. He'd go through cars like you know, like I think other people go through socks. You know, he would just buy cars, sell them, buy cars, sell them. Um, he did lots of things like that. Um, and and it was very difficult with tactical instructions. You know that was the one thing that you know he was he was very hard to control tactically. And if you didn't if you couldn't get through to him, it was like talking to a brick wall. Um, but yeah, but I mean he was legendary. I mean he, he became like uh, you know he was when he, when he came to Celtic, it was a thing where uh, Gordon Strachan, who became the Scotland manager, was also you know obviously you know had a, had a career in England as well. And um, he he was doing his team talk, and at one point one of the players wrote around, and Thomas is sitting in the corner. With a newspaper with the eyes cut out, looking through it, listening to this team talk. You know, it was, it was just really was kind of very, very unusual. Yeah, and if we look at Thomas Gravison's career history, um, so he began his career, as you said, there in Belgium, uh, in Denmark in 1995, and uh, 1997 moved to Hamburg where he played 51 appearances before the move to Everton in uh, 2000. Everton was the place where he spent the most of his career. He was mm -hmm. there for five seasons and uh, played 141 games for Everton, scoring 11 goals before earning what was at the time a surprise move to Real Madrid. I actually remember that. And it came out of kind of the blue, really, didn't it? And the, uh, it's been a season at, at Real Madrid, 34 appearances before a move to Celtic, uh, 2006 to 2008. And 
then a loan in that period back to Everton. Chris, you've mentioned, uh, you know, some of his crazy antics. I think when anyone is ever asked about Thomas Graveson, they, uh, they either have a smile on their face or, or they're sort of shaking their head and, and thinking, uh, well, a bit of a madman, as you said, a mad dog the player was. I mean, what you, your title of your book is The, the Last sort of Modern Day uh, Maverick, uh, you know, the subtitle of your book. What, what made him a bit of a maverick? I mean, was it positionally, his style of play? What is it that makes him such a maverick? I think what makes him a maverick is that I, th- I, th- I think his whole way of going about life is um, quite unique. And particularly for a sportsman, um, he was. I mean, I, I think there's also a misconception with Thomas in some ways that people maybe think that he wasn't good at football or he didn't care about football or you know he wasn't interested. He was very, very good. And when he goes to Real Madrid, he plays. If you if you look at his, he was there for 18 months in the big games. He was he played in that Galactico team. He, I mean, he could cut it football wise. He, he wasn't out his depth in any football. All the footballers from other from all the clubs say he was an outstanding footballer. Um, but I think what made him a maverick was just just the way he looked at the world. You know, he was he, he wasn't driven by money. He he certainly wasn't driven by uh, you know sort of celebrity and you know trying to be a, you know fit an image or something like that. He wasn't interested in that. He just enjoyed his life. He played football because he loved it. And I think the maverick thing was that he he, he, he was just so spontaneous. He would get an idea and just do it. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the great thing is he's got this habit in the book, and I talk about in the book. Every club he went to, he loves to wrestle people. So if he sees someone standing, he creeps up on them, he grabs them, he gets them on the floor, and he's rolling about on the floor with them. And he did that with everybody, whether it be coaches, managers, players, physios, whatever it was. And he even did it at Real Madrid, and he got so over familiar with Brazilian Ronaldo that he knocked his teeth out, which didn't go too well down with the, you know the management because you know here's a star striker being mauled by this uh, crazy. Danish guy who ends up knocking his teeth out, you know. So, but it, it, it was all in good. So. Yeah. How did how did that move to uh, Real Madrid actually come about? I mean, uh, you know, that was um, probably the most surprising and the high point of his career. How how did that come about? And do you touch on that in the book? I mean, the move from sort of Everton to to Real Madrid, and just briefly tell us about that. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I touch in the book. It, it's, it's Thomas Gravis's entire life in the book. But yeah, we, we do touch on that. I mean, at the point Everton are doing very well in the Premiership, they're the fourth, they're riding high. Rooney's left. And, you know, Gravison's the main man in that team. And they all say that he had a free role and that's what he was best at. And, it, and Real Madrid, you know, took a light to him. And the, the president said that, you know, that Gravison's the missing piece in our, in, our, in our jigsaw. And he was bought basically to a defensive midfielder. And there's a, bit, there's a bit in the book we talk about how a lot of people think they got him mixed up with Lee Carsley because Lee Carsley looks like <laughs> him. And they both played together. So Lee Carsley was number 26, Gravison number 16. And obviously Lee Carsley played that holding role. So a lot of people think that they signed the wrong guy because they, you know, they got the wrong baldy guy that played for Everton that had a six in his back. But you know, he he goes to Real Madrid and uh, you know he, he he plays, he fits, and he he manages to play that position. You know, he's the kind of guy like he, he's tactically he, he didn't let he listened, but he didn't he didn't he was drawn to the ball. But the thing with Grab Thomas is, from what I can gather from the managers who know far more than me about football, they, they said that if you give him a specific role, he's fine, but you have to give exactly what you want or you let him do what he wants. There's no in-between. You know, it's got to be to the letter or do what you want. And at Real Madrid, he was kind of told to be the man, be defensive, you know, hold that midfield together, Figo one side, Z- uh, Beckham the other, Zidane in front of you, and off you go. And, and he does pretty well. And there's a great thing, you know. He, he, I mean, he has a great tussle with, uh, you know, Zlatan because they, they, they play a Champions League game that season. And he's a great tussle with Zatan, he overpowers him. And you can see Zatan thinking, oh, I thought I was going to get away with that, but this guy's pretty, pretty doggy. Do you know, he, he, he was a, he was an all round good player, but, you know, he did okay at Real Madrid. It just, it just maybe, again, his personality and a lot of things are going on in his life. He was dating a very famous porn star from Denmark at the time. He had a lot of pressure on him. And then, of course, you know, he decided to punch, uh, you know, Rubinho and uh, Fabio Capello didn't like that and he was on his way out of there. The uh, porn star um, thing. I mean, I remember reading about this. Who exactly was she? And uh, I mean, how did how did it affect him? Would you say? Well, I mean, uh, in true Thomas Strabbitson style, like his 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 previous relationship had been a girl from home who was a footballer. Um, I, I, you know, she was a female footballer who f- followed them to to Hamburg and then to Liverpool, and they had to actually play one on one games after training. And uh, actually, the assistant manager at Everton told me that Thomas would go sliding in on her like it was Patrick Vieira. <laughs> it just it would just 
he would just clean her out. You know, he, he, that's what I'm saying. He, he lived for the moment. You know, he, he would see that as not that. You know, that, that that's not unusual. I'm playing football. I play to the full intensity. So you know, they were very well matched, both footballs, and she knew him from once he young, a young age, and their their relationship ended. And then he decided, or he didn't decide, but he obviously fell attracted to, and you know the attraction was, uh, you know, reciprocated, and he be- he became dating a porn star. So you can imagine going from this hometown childhood sweetheart to a very high-profile porn star from Denmark. So it was, so it was and, true then. It was true. Oh yeah, it was true. And then you know she moves with him to, uh, you know, you know to uh, to Madrid, and at that point. In, in Denmark, he, he, you know, they're actually sending Danish reporters just on Thomas Gravison watch because it's him, famous porn star, and Real Madrid. I mean, it's the it's the cocktail that all tabloid editors are uh, sort of, you know, you know yeah. Marker, Marker must have really enjoyed that one. I mean, um, yeah. porn star aside, let's let's touch on a few other Thomas Gravison uh, myths um, quickly. Yeah. Um, and I did enjoy your comment there about sliding in on her. I think we'll we'll leave that one to one side for a minute, but. Uh, um, is it also true that he became uh, worth over 100 million euros in his post career, and well, that's another myth, Gravison myth? And if so, how? Well, yeah, well, it's a myth, but, and uh, I think most things with Thomas Gravison are very hard to very hard to ascertain because Thomas Gravison is not an open book. Getting getting to Thomas Gravison is very difficult. I got to some people on his, I would say, his inner circle, but getting to him is very difficult. Has he made that money? Um, I don't think anyone knows unless Thomas Gravison actually tells you he made it. It's, there's, there's a few things. Um, either he became extremely good at poker, he possibly invested it because he then, when he went to, he, he resurfaced in Las Vegas after three years completely off the face of the earth. He resurfaces and he's living in a gated community uh, with neighbours like Andre Agassi, Nicolas Cage. He's in this kind of an, uh, pen from the, you know, Pen Gillette from the Pen and Teller uh, magic duo. So they're all living in this gated community. So obviously he's got a few bob. You know, he's obviously got some kind of money. But his girlfriend at the time is a is a model as well. But I think she she also had um, she also kind of worked in in real estate for Warren Buffett. You know, the kind of the sage of Omaha, the third or fourth or whatever he is now, richest man in the world. So maybe she gave him some advice on how to invest money in property. There's also rumours that um, that he just became a good businessman, that he just sort of you know started to know how to do business and had. So social... there's no there's no real kind of answer to whether or not he. he no, um, no, 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 no. There is. It's a myth that will remain unanswered for now. Yeah, until Thomas maybe decides to tell you, but I can't ever think. I don't think. I think Thomas will take that to his deathbed because I don't think he's the kind of guy who would ever say, "Well, I've got 100 million. You know, it's there's a lot of rumours about him, a lot of different things, but there is something that he possibly he has been. According to what I can see, there was a someone who saw him lose 54 million in a Las Vegas casino in a kind of high stakes one to one game. Again, that possibly happened. Maybe. It what, what would you say um, his legacy and reputation in in Denmark um, is overall? Then, uh, Chris. In Denmark, from everyone I spoke to that's Danish, uh, Thomas Gravison is loved and respected because he went to the top of European football, but more importantly, he did it his way. You know, he was a character. He played with, with heart, intensity. He represented the country well, and he did it. You know, I mean, how, how, how many other people can see it? Yeah, I, I was signed by that Galactico team. I went to top English football. I played at World Cups, and I did it my way. I didn't have to compromise. You know, I, 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 he's very well respected, and he has a lot of time for Viola, the part of Denmark, the, or the, the, the city, or the, you know, where he started. He, he, he's, he's now back living there because he's now left Las Vegas, and he's very proud of his roots, and, and they're proud of him. But yeah, I think he's a, a national hero is how I would describe him. And certainly, if I was from there, I'd be proud of him because, uh, you know, I think the more people that do things and do things their way and have a bit of spirit and a bit of integrity about them, I think that's to be applauded. And I think the people of Denmark certainly do that. Well, yeah, I mean, they... in that sense, um, on that point, as you mentioned, I think he's one of the only three players to ever, ever play for Real Madrid. So uh, three Danish players, I think, Michael Laudrup, Henning Jensen and, uh, and Thomas Gravison. So... Yeah, in that sense alone, you know, that's a bit of a, an achievement from a Danish point of view. Yeah, um, and especially at the time he goes. He also won 66 caps for Denmark uh, and played in, obviously, European Championships and that kind of thing. So it's a it's a really interesting uh, career he's had. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I would say this is the book Mad Dog Gramerson uh, by Chris Sweeney. Um, comes out on the 15th of February, I do believe, uh, Chris. Uh, we wish you all the very best with uh, with that. And we've also got a free copy to give away to the listeners um, uh, yeah, of the Nordic Football Podcast. There'll be a little bit of a competition uh, for that, so look out there. But, yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris, and, and very best of luck with it. 
Thank you very much. And I hope anyone that buys the book enjoys it and uh, enjoys hearing about Thomas and his uh, his madcap lifestyle and career. But thanks for having where, me on, guys. I appreciate it. Where can we get hold of the book and when is it out? It's out on the 15th of February. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and uh, all good books, all good bookstores and some bad ones too. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you. Cheers, yeah. Chris. Thank you very much, guys. And yes, uh, further to that interview with Christopher, we're delighted to be able to offer uh, you, the reader, um, one lucky reader, an opportunity to win a free copy of that book, Mad Dog Graveson by Christopher Sweeney. Um, to begin with a chance to win this free prize, all you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Nordic Footpod or on Facebook, Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, obviously, tell us your name on that show and say that you're entering the competition and then retweet um, the, the uh, tweet for the new episode this week. Um, a retweet will enter you for the prize or sharing the Facebook post. We'll put a post on Facebook. And if you share that post as well, you'll be entered into the free prize draw. We'll be giving away one copy for free. And yeah, that's it. That's all you have to do to enter. So give us a follow. Give us a, a, a like um, on Facebook, Nordic Football Podcast. And share the work, share the, you know, share the tweet. And you'll be with a chance of winning it. And if you want to know more about Denmark's biggest and most successful hard man, uh, then that's the place to do it. Yeah, so get uh, retweeting, get following, and you might get your hands on a on a free uh, book there, Mad Dog Gravison. It's worth uh, over fifteen pounds actually, so uh, it's a decent uh, decent catch there. Um, okay, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we're back next time. So take care, everyone, and goodbye. See you later.